Smoky hangover. Ricky, it's the night of Tuesday, February 28th. Uh, last week, I tweeted out, yeah, we're recording tomorrow night. And then we didn't. Ricky, I am now 0 for 2 when I go on our personal Twitter account for the podcast and I say that we are recording this evening. So I'm going to stop doing that. My, uh... I didn't do that this week, for the, for the record. And we're recording one night later than we planned because my son has an ear infection. So, yes. And don't, don't take this the wrong way, but my girlfriend was very cross with you last night. <laughs> fair. <laughs> that's, that's fair. I told her I left her house a little earlier than I normally would. And um, when she found out that we were not recording, she was quite, quite irritated. But this is, uh, this is what happens when you're a dad. And uh, yeah, that's just how it is. But yeah, maybe you should stay off the Twitter um because you're i'm now over two um basically since the start of the new year this was baseball but this is right right and if i go one for three i've had a hall of fame career so (laughs) i'm just not going to tweet out like teasers that we're recording anymore unless it's with a guest because i've done that in the past and those have popped and it kind of we always record when we have the the guest plan so i'm gonna stop doing that um Rick, uh, we got to talk about a couple of coaching moves here in the in the football space, uh, two that we weren't necessarily expecting. Brad Glenn, quarterbacks coach, has gone to Louisville uh, to be the offensive coordinator under Scott Satterfield. Or, I'm sorry, Louisville. Wow. Has gone to Cincinnati, sorry, to be the offensive coordinator under Scott Satterfield, who left Louisville for Cincinnati. Uh, and then... Yesterday, the news broke that Joe Rudolph, the offensive line coach, is heading to Notre Dame uh, to fill that vacancy left by Harry Heastand, who retired um, longtime Notre Dame offensive line coach. So, Ricky, these are two pretty significant moves, right, on the offensive side of the football for a unit that really struggled um, in year one under Pry. Couple that with the fact that it's the end of February and we are a couple weeks away from spring football. And it's just not an easy time to replace coaches. And, you know, it's one thing if these coaches were jumping to the NFL, because, you know, that that coaching cycle, that coaching carousel kind of runs on a on a different time frame than college football. But these are two guys who remained in the college game and left. And now I think Brent Pry and his staff, they kind of have their work cut out for them in terms of getting, you know, valuable replacements within a couple of weeks of spring football starting. I'm sympathetic to the folks that are are fine with with both of these guys moving on. I mean, given how bad Virginia Tech's offense was last year, I I get it. But this is a really bad time yeah. to have to replace what is essentially a third of your offensive coaching staff. Yeah, like you, I I don't. It, it's a It's there's a lot of ways you could look at it, right? Like number one, like Brad Glenn gets a promotion, Mm -hmm. right? So you can't, you know, you can't be but so mad at him for that. Joe Rudolph is a lateral, a lateral move in terms of title, but he's going to coach at Notre Dame, which even on a down year last year was what still a top 25 team, I believe. Won the Gator Bowl. Yeah. So both of those guys are, are moving upwards, but the fact that they're doing it in February is attack concerning. I'm not going to lie. Um, 
you you generally don't jump ship at this point in the process unless you are worried about the future of the ship. I and, uh, okay, continue. I'll let and, you continue the thought first. And I, I I'm I'm not sure that that's like I'm I'm not like set on the, on that being the, the case here. Yeah, but I can't help but think that that might be. It's a possibility that sure. I mean, like it's exact. I mean, granted, Joe Rudolph left Wisconsin much earlier in the process, but he left Wisconsin because he knew that was a sinking ship right, under right. under Paul Christ, which right. we may not have known at the time, but the administration had grown tired of Paul Christ as head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, man. I just something seems off with this this coaching staff like there is there is almost no experience now in this coaching staff by the way like most of these guys now are like their their resumes are basically just group of five coaches like there's Joe Rudolph was supposed to be the big hire on Brent Price staff yeah last year yep and not only was his unit really bad in year 1 he's gone so right. like any any kind of development or progress that that could have been made gone. So now you're right. starting you're starting from scratch with a, a a unit that was horrendous last season. And we're supposed to be starting like you said spring practice in a couple of weeks and all of these young offensive linemen don't even know what scheme they're going to be running. Yeah. And who's going to be coaching them? And yeah. it's even worse at quarterback. A quarterback is a huge position, obviously. Right. And who the hell is going to be coaching quarterbacks? Well, yeah, because, I mean, Tyler Bowen, he's offensive coordinator and tight ends coach, like, right? So like, you don't. Like Kyron Drones is supposed to be learning the playbook and in, in the offense. And the guy that's supposed to help him do that just bounced right before spring, spring camp. Right. So this is. This does not bode well for a productive spring slate, at least on the offensive side of the ball. As we record on February 28th, because we don't know who the yeah, hires exactly. are yet, we right? Could, yeah. We could release this tomorrow. Right. Right. And and Virginia Tech might might announce a couple hires. Even then, those guys are going to be getting their feet wet. Like the only the only hire that you could make internally would be Brian Christ as your quarterback's coach who's been an analyst for the for the the team already. Yeah. But that would be the most underwhelming hire I think that humanly possible. And it would reek of desperation and 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 laziness in in all honesty. Um so whoever jumps into these roles is going to be starting in a really really tight spot. Yeah, I have a I have a lot of different thoughts. I mean, our podcasts, Rick, especially when um when you and I record tend to be like less structured, more kind of all over the place. So bear with me a little bit. Yep. Um the thought of let me start with with the thought that you posed, which was, you know, could Joe Rudolph conceivably have been jumping because he thought it was a sinking ship? Maybe but it's it's so it's so early right like if this was year three right or even like end of year two you know maybe i feel like that would be more of a possibility for me especially with like let's start with glenn like glenn moving to 
you know, moving on to be the offensive coordinator. Yeah, it's it's a promotion and title. He's he's got a history with Satterfield, right? Um, and it, it's a move where you could be the offensive coordinator of you know what's going to be a Big Twelve school, um, that that's got a, a good program and it's it's a buddy of yours, right? I mean, it's it's you can't you you can't separate those two things, right? I mean, connections. It's all about connections, right? In any workplace and especially when it comes to football coaches and especially when it comes to football coaches. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I was surprised that that happened, but like when I kind of, you you peel back the onion a little bit and see the relationship there and, and you see the promotion, I mean, it made a lot of sense for Brad Glenn right now, Joe Rudolph. So Rudolph leaves Wisconsin, right? Says, Hey, pry, throw me a life raft because this thing's going down. He ends up in Blacksburg on Pry staff in what was one of the biggest hires that Pry made, the biggest hire that Pry made, maybe. And that was, was considered a, big... a coup at the time. Well, it was. It was. And you consider the fact that Virginia Tech has had trouble landing big time coordinators in the post Beamer era, big time coordinators, big time assistants. And they were able to to bring Rudolph to Blacksburg was a big deal. Um, I think Rudolph is a pretty significant loss. I know the unit was bad last year and we can't dismiss that. They were, it was the worst offensive line that Virginia Tech's had in the better part of two decades, but I don't think one bad year undoes a undoes 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 a <laughs> it's, it's late. I'm, a father who doesn't sleep <laughs> undoes a long history and, and pedigree of being, you know, a widely respected and, and very good offensive line coach. Right. So I would, I would have had anticipated that the offensive line would have taken more steps forward. They were a little better the last couple of games last year. Right. But I would have expected a bigger jump if Rudolph were to stick around now on the Rudolph note and his move specifically to Notre Dame, he has a relationship with Marcus Freeman as well. So at Ohio State, Rudolph was a graduate assistant when Freeman was a linebacker for the Buckeyes, right? So there's an existing relationship there as well. They know each other well. He brings him on that staff. Notre Dame is a step up, right? I mean, we were just talking about that. Like, even in a down year, Notre Dame still won, the, won nine games, won the Gator Bowl. Uh, and they can they can pay their coaches exorbitant amounts of money. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. I'm sure he got a raise. And now he gets to coach at a school that has historically put a ton of offensive linemen in the NFL. I know Virginia Tech has had a run where they got Wyatt Teller and Christian Derrissaw and they put pro, you know, they put offensive linemen in the pros, but not to a level that that Notre Dame has, right? Where they're kind of churning out a starting NFL caliber offensive lineman like every two or three years. On top of that, Rudolph, you know, recruited the Midwest at Wisconsin. Now he gets to recruit the Midwest again at Notre Dame. People were saying, okay, well, Rudolph didn't recruit that well in year one at Virginia Tech. No, he didn't. But how much of that is on Rudolph versus the situation as a whole, right? That they're walking into in Blacksburg. I think it's, I think you have a hard time judging recruiting. And this is what we've talked about on this podcast before, Ricky, with like the entire staff. They got to be a little bit patient with what recruiting is going to look like because of the situation they walked into because they had to repair relationships in Virginia. Um, because, you know, there, there are things that need to happen like cycle over cycle. And for Rudolph to historically be a good recruiter at Wisconsin and then to come in 
to Virginia Tech and be the primary recruiter, by the way, for Leif Ganim, the, the top recruit in the class, right, who happens to be an offensive lineman from West Virginia, like that's that counts for something, right? So saying Rudolph didn't pull in like five or six offensive linemen that were like four stars, sure, right? That's a step down from what he was doing at Wisconsin. But to say that, you know, he wouldn't have been able to recruit well if he was at Virginia Tech for like three or four years, I'm just not sure. We'll never know, but I'm just not sure that's a informed take given kind of the history and given what we know about, you know, what he's been able to do in the past. And I just feel like that's, you can fit the recruiting thing for whatever kind of narrative you want. But I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, the situation that Pry and his staff as a whole were walking into in Blacksburg from a recruiting standpoint wasn't the best situation to walk into. Let's focus on Rudolph for a second. Last year, a lot was made of the fact that Joe Rudolph comes from a power run scheme, and that's where he's made his bread and butter uh, as an offensive line coach. That is not what Tyler Bowen wants to do. Tyler Bowen is is much more of a zone-oriented run scheme. Um, for those who don't know the difference, you can Google it, and there's plenty of folks that can ex- can explain it better than I can. Brian Siegler, Boundary Corner Podcast, shout out. Yeah, so it was always kind of a weird match anyway, like right up front, which like kind of frustrates you as a as an observer now that you have you know hindsight why the hell was he hired in the first place if if he didn't mesh with kind of the the uh, culture is not the right word but the the entire direction of the offense yeah the scheme like 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 if you're if you're running an offense where like you're focusing on dual threat quarterbacks you're not going to hire a quarterbacks coach that doesn't have any experience working with dual threat guys. So if you're, if Tyler Bowen's committed to running a zone offense in terms of the run game, why would you go out and hire someone who was obviously in search of a life raft that did not have connections to the university or the program prior? Um, Why would you go bring that guy in? I have a different question. And it builds off of your point. What changed? And and the reason I'm asking that is because what changed in what in, in what so, context? So when when Brent Pry was hired at Virginia Tech, it was very clear, at least in the introductory press conference and kind of the things that he said when he was first brought on as head coach, he wanted Virginia Tech to get back to being a good power running football team that utilized the tight ends. He was talking about that during spring ball last year. And then Virginia Tech really wasn't that, right? I mean, they tried to be that at times last year, and then it wasn't very good. And now they go get Kyron Drones out of the portal, who's certainly not a quarterback that you want just like game management dink and dunk. He's going to run the football. And it's clear that Pry, and since then, Pry is like, well, we want to run our quarterback more. Okay, so the scheme's changing now. I think you can build kind of a a tough power running football team without using the power run scheme. Like that's all it is, is a, is a a style of blocking as opposed to another, another style and set of, of of blocking schemes. Like, but you're right though. Like 
at, at no point last year was Virginia Tech a smash mouth football team. Right. And that kind of football obviously resonates with this fan base considering the the history here. And uh, I'm certainly sympathetic to that that style of football. Um, it, it can be successful. There are programs around the country that are doing it. It is not the trend, but it is something that can be done. And you can point out several examples of teams that have done that over the last decade. Um, but yeah, like tech has kind of abandoned that. Um, this is going to be probably much more of a spread style offense next season um like i i which is probably for the best to be honest i don't think they yeah like i don't think you have the personnel at tight end to run these these like 12 personnel sets where you're relying on daquan Wright, who's not really a developed blocker right to to be able to generate push up front i mean that's just that's not what's going to work uh we saw that last year now that doesn't mean Daquan Wright can't be useful. He's, right. I think he's certainly one of Tech's better pass catchers. Just just given the limited time that we saw him last year, there's a lot of potential there. But it may not necessarily be as a blocker. But that's kind of commonplace now amongst tight ends anyway. So right. this team desperately needs to figure out what their identity is on on both sides of the football. I, I think defensively it's it they're closer to finding what that is uh a lot of that is the continuity on the defensive side of the ball i mean chris marv is now running the show and there's no question about you know who's calling plays this week and yada 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 and it's been and and it looked good like the back half of last year the defense really in in terms of taking strides forward and making improvements competent yeah, for sure. I'm not, not going to say they look good, but they look competent. <laughs> they which, looked, um, they uh, yeah, good was probably they look the good relative term. to other parts of the season. <laughs> yeah, and and they looked. I would say they looked improved based on kind of what we saw at the beginning of the year and just kind of how the season progressed. I thought they looked better as the year went on, which is what you want to see. You want to see improvement in that regard. Yeah, I I think Tech is much closer to finding an identity on that side of the ball. On offense, though, I have no idea what this offense is going to look like week one. I that I Tyler Bowen did not get his his bearings straight last year. He now has to find a new quarterbacks coach in about a week's time. And he's got to do the same thing on the offensive line. And both of those position groups had really, really bad performances all year long. I mean, Grant Wells was really bad last year. Yeah. The offensive line was was really bad last year. Um and, and and there's no continuity at that position, or excuse me, at either of those positions now. So I don't know. Does this I mean like does this change the outlook of the quarterback room in terms of what the pecking order might be? I don't know. I think it depends on who they bring in. Um, but yeah, it's a this is not an ideal scenario. <laughs> like we should, no, no. And, and and I don't understand why Virginia Tech is not capable of going an off season without something weird happening. Right. Like yeah. it seems it seems basically since since twenty fifteen or sixteen, it's just been every year there's something going on, whether it be a, a rash of transfers from starters or 
players getting arrested or coaches being fired or coaches leaving at weird times in the year or coaches almost getting fired. And then the athletic director holding a weird press conference that yeah. is like, you know, this is why who's, we who's didn't gun is, fire him. Who's, whose gun is in your back. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then I, like the press, the press release where it was like, uh, not to harp on this, but the press release where it was like, yeah, we have a major announcement about our football program. And then, like, an hour later, it broke. Like, Pete Thamel had it. It was like, yeah, Justin Fuente is actually staying. It was like, wait, what? <laughs> Why did you guys word the press release like that? You made it seem like you were making a change, and then you didn't. And then it was, like, the weirdest press conference of all time. Anyway, yeah, that was... Sidebar. Or that, and we also also have to remember 2018 when Justin Fuente floated with Baylor. Like... Oh, my God. And that's still... that's. And one then, our, and then uh, I heard I heard Dalliance for the first time in my life i read that word approximately seventeen thousand times yes yes that, um, that was that was every journalist's favorite word that um that specific off season but and that is still one of our highest performing podcast episodes in the history of this show that is uh still one of the best most listened to episodes we've ever had it the was Baylor crazy episode? it popped yeah it popped damn well, yeah, it popped. I don't think this will be that episode, but I, I think I think fans are definitely feeling a little uneasy about the fact that Virginia Tech needs to fill two on-field coaching positions, and they've got a week or two to do it. So I think Joe Rudolph to Notre Dame, and I don't want to harp on this too long, but like Joe Rudolph to Notre Dame, I think from a schematic standpoint, is probably a better fit. Now, Tommy Reese left Notre Dame for Alabama, uh, Tommy Reese liked to run the ball like 30, 35 times a game. Notre Dame has been a really good power running team for the last like five or six years. And they promoted from within. So Gerard Parker's taking over. Um, he was tight ends coach taking over as offensive coordinator. If it's a similar looking offense, I think it's going to be a really good fit for Joe Rudolph and kind of how he coaches his offensive lineman, what he did at Wisconsin. I think he'll be more of a fit. Plus he's got like two or three potential all Americans returning on the offensive line. So that always makes the coach look good as well. Yeah. He's so, definitely walking into a better situation than he left. Definitely. Definitely. And I think he'll see, you know, I was but, kind of touching on this Michael, earlier. Yes. God, God is what took him to Notre Dame. Not. I saw that press release and <laughs> um, I am a uh, look, I, I, I have, I have no problem with folks being, None. Devout, devoutly religious. None. I consider myself somewhat religious. Yes. Yes. Um, yep. yep. Don't don't sit here and tell me that the reason you're walking into a tailor made situation for your career is because God told you to. God told yeah yeah God God told me to and uh, Marcus Freeman told you to. That's what happened. <laughs> Marcus Freeman in the bag man told you like to. like I know I know touchdown Jesus has an allure to him, but <laughs> damn, like I was praying under the golden dome, and it came to me <laughs> that I was going to be the next offensive line coach at Notre Dame, bro. You got that money, you got that bag. It's okay. Yeah, and also he's like you said, he's got a chance to coach small Americans next year. It's just a really, it's a really good situation, a really good opportunity sucks. for him. The timing, timing sucks. sucks. Timing and, sucks. And while we're at it, we should probably go ahead and address this now in case it happens. There are some rumblings that that there is another assistant who might find his way out the door. And um, it's one that it's one that a lot of fans ahead. wouldn't mind 
uh, leaving. Let's go ahead and put his name out there. Stu Holt is is rumored to be finding himself a new job. We don't know if this is true. This is pure speculation. Uh, I think it's a bit more founded than the the hoax that was Bronny James being interested in going to Virginia Tech, which <laughs> which shout, which a lot of people shout, shout out, out Diablo fan Diablo account. fan account for duping some clickbait journalist on some weird website. That was hysterical. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's possible. And and like I re- responded to someone on Twitter, I would have been really pleased about that development in December. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah. I really don't want Brent Pry to have to hire not one, not two, but three offensive speaking coaches. Of, speaking of LeBron weeks, James, speaking of LeBron right, and Bronny, not one, not two, not three. Right before spring practice. I really don't want that to happen. Bronny's going to be like, I got to go to Blacksburg now. And, and not to mention, if if they do that, then – you also have to find someone else to coach your special teams. Now, look, Stu Holt's special teams last year were bad, too. Like, yes. Stu Holt did not have a very good 2022 season. Right. His running backs were not very good. His special teams were bad across the board. Virginia Tech could stand to have someone else coach special teams next year. I just don't want us to make all of these changes in March or February. Right. Yeah, I mean, without the emergence of Tucker Holloway late in the year, it would have been a gigantic disaster on special teams last year. And it still was not very good, right? So, like, one of the things we never, and I'm, I think we mentioned this during the year, one of the things we never had to worry about under Justin Fuente was the special teams. Agreed. James Shebist is underrated as hell. I don't even know if he's got a job right now, but he sure as hell should have one. He was phenomenal as a as as a special teams coach. His kickers and punters were good almost every year. His return and coverage teams were excellent. There were no field goal blocking issues and things of that nature. Virginia Tech was had had the special teams down pat. Last year, not so much. And I think by and large, the offensive line was pretty solid over his six years, too. I mean, there was times here and there. Oh, but... yeah. Vance Weiss was putting out an average line at worst. Right. And and good for Vance Weiss. He's now coaching at UNLV. Uh, and I'm, Under I'm, Barry. Yeah, Barry I'm hoping Odom. he does good things there. But, yeah, Vance Weiss is, is someone that um, it would have been nice to retain – Vance Vice. I I know it's not realistic, but man, that would have been one to keep him and Shebus. I think Virginia Tech has to make because of the position they're in at quarterback and because of just the nature and how important offensive line play is, they gotta make these two hires before spring ball. You know, can they get away with um I'm just kind of thinking this through. Can they get away with like rolling into spring without a quarterback's coach ordinarily I would be like yeah maybe considering where they're at in the quarterback's room though right now like they got to have a quarterback's coach in but more importantly they absolutely 1000% if you're going to make one hire before the other in my opinion you need to hire the offensive line coach as soon as possible given how bad that unit was last year quarterback like yes a quarterback's coach is important Yes, it's a period of transition, but 
you take another step further back, this is where Tyler Bowen's going to make his money, Ricky. This is where he's going to make his money, right? Everybody's, everybody, you know, after seeing the offense last year, fans are wondering, okay, is this, you know, is Tyler Bowen the right guy for the job, right? That That's the question a lot of fans were asking. And in my opinion, this is where you make your money. It's going to be a quarterback change. The scheme is going to look, I think, a little bit different heading into year two. They're going to try to run the quarterback more. They got more talent in the room, we think, with Kyron Drones. So this is where Bowen makes his money, Rick. And regardless whether you hire a quarterback coach in time for spring ball or not, it's kind of irrelevant because the way I look at it is like Bowen is going to have to have his fingerprints all over this thing at quarterback because like you mentioned earlier in this podcast, Ricky, even if they make these hires as soon as possible, we're sitting here recording on Tuesday the 28th, even if they make these hires as soon as possible in advance of spring ball, these coaches are still going to be getting up to, up to speed in the spring, right? It's going to be up to the coaches on the offensive staff that have already been here, right, that have the relationships with the players to kind of take on the onus this spring while these new coaches get up to speed. Let me let me float an idea out there, and I, I don't. This is not an original idea. I think I've heard this from someone else. Tyler Bowen, who stays offensive coordinator, moves to coaching offensive line rather than tight ends. Fontel Mines, who has experience coaching tight ends and played tight end, moves to tight ends coach. And then your next bet is trying to find a wide receivers coach. Which is easier. Which is probably easier. I wonder if that's uh I wonder if that's something that's seriously being considered. Tyler Bowen did spend three years as an offensive line coach. Uh, twice at Fordham. One of those years, he was the offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. And then the following year, he was the offensive line coach at Maryland. Uh, excuse me. After that, he moved to tight ends and um, co-offensive coordinator and other positions. So it's not, I feel like it's not off the table. It, it, it's something that'll probably be considered. I feel like. I hadn't heard of that. And I think that's a decent, thought um and i mean even if they don't do that formally you know i think it's going to be a situation going into spring ball where some of these coaches are going to be wearing multiple hats whether you make the new hires or not right like you got to get these coaches up to speed um not a bad idea and you know i think where there's prior experience in terms of coaching other positions i definitely think they're going to leverage those Montel Mines was the tight ends coach at Old Dominion mm -hmm. and at Richmond in 2014. So he's spent time at receiver and tight ends coach. So someone that's got got experience doing both. And I think that that could be another guy who might be wearing multiple hats this spring. Maybe he spends some time at tight end and, and wide receivers. Yep. Um, but yeah, they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to get creative. I think, I, I don't know what I'm not as familiar with Brent Prize, you know, past connections and things like that. If you're really into that stuff, Stephen Newman, my boy, is on Twitter is really good with that stuff. He's got a good, a good Excel sheet of coaches and their backgrounds as it relates to Virginia Tech. But this is, it's just such a bad, bad position to be in. 
like you're coming off you're coming off an extremely uninspiring year. Mm-hmm. Your your additions in the portal were mixed. I mean, you're you got a big question mark at the most important position on the field, and now you're trying to hire two, uh, potentially three, offensive assistants with just weeks before the biggest part of the offseason starts, and that's that's not a place to be in. Not great. And then you think about the schedule, and you think about kind of, you know, what we talked about a couple podcasts ago when the schedule first came out. I mean, this is going to be an interesting year for Virginia Tech anyway, before you kind of factor in all this and just kind of the wide range of where they could end up in terms of record. This could be a pretty long rebuild, Rick. I mean, I thought it was going to be a long rebuild. This could be like, if if this becomes a trend where, you know, prize bringing in good coaches only for them to get poached by other schools <laughs> and tech becomes kind of a stepping stone program as they try to reemerge from the darkness like this could be a pretty pretty long rebuild and how much of a leash does he have well it depends like how how much of the how much of the the coaching staff moves do you end up putting on pry i mean i think these two you know rudolph's not going to say no to notre dame and on top of that like glenn leaves for a promotion right so for these two hires in particular, I have a hard time pinning it on Brett Pry, right? But if like Stu Holt, regardless of what you think of him, were to leave for, I don't know, say Tulane, which is the rumor, say he were to leave for like Tulane under Willie Fritz, pretty good program. Um, yeah, actually, even a better program than Virginia Tech's been the last five years, but it's still Tulane, right? In the AAC, it's, it's not a power five program. And for as good as Tulane has been, I think Virginia Tech's ceiling is certainly much higher. And you start losing position coaches to a group of five schools. I don't know. Tulane's ceiling was this past year. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Willie Willie Fritz is a, I mean, he's a good coach, man. But like, he he squeezed every bit of juice out of that orange, man. Like, I don't, there's just not much more. Not much more. And, and again, fantastic year. Won a big-time bowl game. Knocked off USC, all that stuff. It was crazy. But, like, you're not going to get much better than that. That is, like, the banner year at Tulane. Agreed. And, um, again, again, been better than Virginia Tech. The Hokies would love to be in a New Year's Six bowl game. <laughs> I mean, shit. Right? It's been a while. But, don't, man. Yeah, don't get me started. But I just... To answer your question, man, I how long of a leash does Pry have? I mean, I think going into this, like when he was hired last year, I thought at minimum he needed like four years, considering what he was walking into. You you need at least two full cycles of your own, right? So he inherited one, right? He comes in in the middle of a cycle. Then he needs at least two full cycles of his own just to see what you're going to do recruiting-wise, right? So he's kind of in the middle of you know, starting his like second full recruiting cycle at Virginia Tech. But this is kind of where this is kind of where they're at, where you're trying you're sitting here trying to figure out like, 
all right, what's what's the recruiting going to look like, right? Because first you got to come in, you got to reestablish relationships, and you got to start capitalizing on some big time prospects, which you hope they're able to do in the twenty twenty four class. Um, then on top of that, it's like, do you see development on the offensive side? Do you start seeing player development on the defensive side with the with the existing players? You couldn't say a lot of that in year one, right? You couldn't say a lot of that. Now, we saw it a little bit defensively. Very late in the year, we saw it on the offensive line. Receivers were pretty much a non-factor outside of Caleb Smith. I mean, the offense has been a disaster, right? So to answer your question, I mean, if the offense is this bad his entire tenure, like he's not going to last very long. He knows that too. I sure hope so. Um, I think we've just about covered all that. Real quick note, Virginia Tech basketball. Terrible. Uh, coming off of a pretty lifeless loss in Cameron Indoor. A few days ago, they won didn't even tonight. watch. It. I couldn't even watch. Couldn't even watch it, Rick. It was so bad. They couldn't won tonight it. by what is that? 17, 71, 54. But they played Louisville, who, as you and I discussed prior to recording, had won four games all year. Yeah. So, uh, hooray for beating a, a a absolute doormat team. Um, I think we're both in agreement that Virginia Tech's NCAA tournament chances are. Kaput. Almost zero. Like barring another barring another unforeseen, miraculous, unexplainable run. Which, which even I mean, look, it's a bad ACC, but even so, like it's just hard to imagine. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> with, with how so, the season has gone. Virginia Tech's season um either will end up in the NIT or potentially be completely done at the at the end of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hoping for NIT just from the standpoint of seeing like more of MJ Collins and Rodney Rice, especially because Rodney Rice yeah, is Rodney back Rice and he's has come back, which is encouraging. I th- th- there have been there's been twice now where I I thought Rodney Rice was done for yeah. the season, and he's come yep. back both times, which is encouraging. Um, just to even get just get those guys some minutes. Got to like... get some minutes. He he's too important for the future, Virginia Tech is going to be extremely young next year uh, at some key positions, really all over the place except for point guard. Um, Rodney Rice is going to be critical to the team not being awful next year. Yeah. So the more the more minutes they can get him, the better. Same thing with MJ Collins, Lynn Kidd. Uh, maybe John, John, John Camden. John yeah. Camden, yeah. really important to get those guys as much as many looks as they can get them. Yeah. Um women's women real quick. Yeah. Liz Kitley. Liz Kitley back just named back. back to back ACC player of the year. Obviously she was named first team all ACC as well. Georgia Amore first team all ACC a point guard. Taylor Soul second team all ACC on the wing. Buddy. So Buddy. let me let me make a comment real quick. I I made a I made a comment um probably like 2 3 weeks ago now where I said that this team this was not a top 10 team. Uh I'd like to apologize Retract. for that. Yeah. Retract. Like well look, I mean like they've been that they've been kind of bordering on top 10 for the last couple of years and they've always lost when they get right to the doorstep. Yep. And I can't remember what game it was earlier this year, but they they lost a game earlier this year that I felt like it was the same thing happening but instead they what won their last nine 
to they have not the season. They have not lost in the month of February. Um, they lost to Duke on the road, sixty six fifty five, and since then, uh, they are undefeated, including a buzzer beater and uh, in Chapel Hill, a thrashing of Duke at home, a win over ranked Florida State, a win over ranked NC State, um, a win over Virginia on the road. So like they've. They've more than earned their ranking in the top ten. This they have a chance to be a top two seed in the NCAA tournament, which is uh, just absolutely astounding. Uh, really hoping that this year ends a lot better than last year did for them. So, congrats to Liz Kitley, who's probably the best player in the history of the program at this point. Hard pressed to find someone better, and there's an opportunity for her to return next year if she wants to. She's got a COVID year. I don't know that she will, but it'll be an option like, for her. I feel like she's got some money waiting for her at the end of this rainbow. She's in got the, in the WNBA. <laughs> she got money there and overseas, and she's probably got some uh, NIL money coming her way <laughs> as well. Correct. So she's going to have options. So she yeah, definitely, options. definitely a great year for them. Um, real quick before we wrap up, I do want to give a shout out to Andy Bitter. Um, I spent a lot of time working with Andy on the beat when I was uh, covering Virginia Tech full-time. And uh, for those who don't know, The Athletic is no longer covering Virginia Tech uh, football, which is disappointing. Um, and as someone that worked next to Andy and has obviously been reading Andy for a very long time, I wanted to thank Andy for all of his work covering covering the um, the program and the team. And I'm looking forward to seeing where he ends up after this. And uh, on a on a selfish note, I'm very disappointed in all of the moves that have been made from the outlets that cover Virginia Tech consistently. That beat when I was on it, Mike, which was in 16, 17, and 18, and even before that as a student, um, that beat has been completely decimated. Yeah. Like, Yep. Um, there have been just way too many folks that are no longer there. Damian Sordelet, who I remember uh, covering uh, Liberty. He's been covering Liberty for a while. He is now jumping on to work for the Roanoke Times, so congrats to Damian. Make sure you go ahead and give Damian Sordelet a follow. Um, he's a good reporter, and I think he'll do good work. Um, but, yeah, there's, there, there's a huge void now in the tech beat now that Andy's not going to be there. He's been – He's been kind of the cornerstone of that beat for a very long time, going back to the Virginian pilot, uh, when, which is the local paper here. So um, shout out to Andy for being a, a really good reporter. Longest serving guy on the beat outside of Teal. I mean, I'm thinking Nizalek left, uh, Norm and, Wood. And you got to remember, too, left. like Teal, Teal has spent a lot of time on other beats as well. Like Teal's spent a ton of time on UVA. Yep. And when he joined the Roanoke Times and they put him on the tech beat, so Mike Barber, who spent used to spend a lot of time covering Virginia Tech, couldn't mm-hmm. do UVA. Yep. Um, like Andy was still the guy. Like Andy was, yeah. Andy was the one that 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 was you know writing the best stuff more often than not, at least from the reporters. And um, if there was ever any information that was getting broken, Andy was usually the guy breaking it. And. Um, I, I just I learned a lot from Andy, so I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, and and more recently he had been teaching um 
in the sports media analytics yes, program an too. So yeah. as an adjunct, so he was impacting a lot of up and coming journalists at Virginia Tech too. So it's a pretty big. I don't know if he'll continue doing that or not, but it's a pretty big loss, I think, for the Virginia Tech beat for all the reasons you mentioned. So tough times in journalism. Um, it's been that way for a long time, unfortunately. I've I've obviously experienced that firsthand. So yeah, it's uh it, it's tough, and it's a shame when you see stuff like that happen. Definitely. On a lighter note, um, we'll be back next week because I won't tweet anything out. Also, maybe Andrew will be here. Um, Hoping. But that's a huge maybe. Also, Main Street Farm. Like, yes. Shout out to the greatest uh, hometown pharmacy in the world. Um, thanks for letting us do what we do on a regular basis. And um, Mike, I don't know what your plans for spring game are, but I will be in Blacksburg for spring game, barring any last minute changes. I may be playing in a golf tournament locally here, potentially. I'm trying to decide whether or not I'm going to be mad at you for that. <laughs> it's hard because it's golf, you know? Yeah, like, I trust me, love golf. Yes, big, I know you're big, an avid big, golfer. Yes, big-time golfer. Also, spring game, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, rate, <laughs> review, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, go ahead and follow all the boys on Twitter. Hopefully we'll be back next week. We had planned on doing a defensive roster review. Next week will be the time to do that. I think. Uh, well, that is if we don't have hires to talk about. <laughs> Should we probably will? Which we hopefully will. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want this to be the first week of March and us not knowing who's coaching quarterbacks. If for, if for Virginia Tech, if it is, then my theory about this being very like all hands on deck laden until they figure something out heading into spring ball i really hope that doesn't come to fruition but i if we don't have the hires by this time next week i think that might be something that's in the cards unfortunately a, a, a team that's coming off a three-win season should not be asking coaches to like double dip in in spring spring ball yeah i mean this is uh supposed to be big time college football at virginia tech this isn't like randolph making up the road yeah <laughs> No offense to them, of course. We don't be catching strays like 35 minutes into this podcast. <laughs> so, anyway, Rick, we'll be back next week. <laughs> those we'll poor back. guys. Those, those poor guys. They didn't, yeah. they didn't ask for any of this stuff, I, man. <laughs> and on that note, we'll be back next week.